major nuances of performance. If you're going to be able to 45.io, extraordinary prospect experiences or buyer experiences that drive up conversion that allow them to be in a position to score more points. When we create clarity for them and they can understand that this solution will solve these problems and eliminate this pain and get me to these outcomes and start to be more focused on our buyers and what they're looking for. And one of the easiest things that we can do is there's a stat out there that about 57% of the sales process is complete by the time they schedule a call with a salesperson. Through guided selling technology and playbooks, buyer-centric playbooks, it'll eliminate that. And that's really what buyer-centric selling is all about. Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Mays. Welcome back to the Sassfield Podcast, where we salute all of you who cooked and honor all of you who did dishes over the Thanksgiving holiday. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. Well, I hope you had a fantastic holiday, spent quality time with great people, ate excellent food, and made some memories. I spent it with family and friends and made a few new friends as well, which has become sort of a tradition like I talked about in last week's episode. It was a really good time. The big highlight for me which is, is pretty common for me to, to say this, was uh, board games. We played board games, card games with the family. It's something that we always do when we're together at the holidays. You know, very simple, some new games, some classics that we played for years. But I'm uh, really interested, what do you do over the holidays? Do you make any memories? What traditions do you have? Drop me a note at SAS Fuel and let me know. Well, in last week's episode, we talked with Patrick Hill, founder of Discopia. A streaming platform for creatives where artists, including musicians, podcasters, video producers, and more, have creative freedom, opportunities for monetization, and merchandise. Patrick has a really big vision, and I think this could be the next generation of YouTube. That sounds interesting. Check out the interview last week with Patrick. My guest this week is David Bonney, founder and CEO of 45.io. 45.io is a sales operations SaaS platform. It combines sales methodology and technology for faster adoption, increased close rate, and more scalable results for your business. Sales is always a hot topic, and David has great insights to get revenue flowing and recurring round and round like a treadmill belt. And after all that turkey and pie, Last week, this is a great episode to maybe listen on a treadmill, elliptical, or bike, or hey, outside if it's nice. So let's get a sales workout going with today's guest, David Bonney. Well, hey, David, welcome to SAS Fuel. Thanks, Jeff. Great to be here. Well, start out, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are at 45.io. Yeah, so started in the, the ranks of sales at a Fortune 500 company and uh, was lucky enough to, through all the pressure to figure it out, rise to the top of the West Coast division and got recruited out by a up and coming software company out in Arizona called Infusionsoft. I started with them. I think I heard of those guys. Yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) It started early days. Good company. Um, 
at about 5 million and did that ride all the way up to 100 million with a VP of sales and marketing stint in between those two stints. So, you know, when you have uh, venture capital coming in from Goldman Sachs and Bain Capital, there's an unusual amount of stress that's placed upon those kind of fast growth software companies. And you got to, you have to be able to figure out the major nuances of performance if you're going to be able to meet those goals. So without a doubt, was able to figure a lot of that stuff out and went out into the world and started helping other companies do the same. Uh, companies that didn't necessarily have the pressure of major investment firms so they could get all the results without all the pain. And uh, through that work, especially on the revenue side, we were really able to distill down what are the critical factors of creating sales rep success um, for the vast majority of sales reps out there. And that's how we've gotten to this place of 45.io, where we take buyer-centric sales playbooks and put them into guided selling technology to create consistent execution, high quality execution by sales reps, extraordinary prospect experiences or buyer experiences that drive up conversion for your top performing reps all the way down to your lowest performing reps. So you brought up a couple of terms there that listeners may be unfamiliar with. What exactly is a buyer-centric playbook and why is it different? Yeah. So what we've noticed through the years, what I noticed as a sales leader and what I've noticed in my work with companies continuing on is a lot of companies have what we call a seller-centric approach. And a seller-centric approach is great for raving fans who are well-educated and love your stuff. They want to hop on a sales call, hear all the cool stuff that you guys do, get a couple of questions answered and make the purchase. That's like 0.5% of the market, maybe. That's right. On a good day. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think Gartner said 88% of the prospects are looking for a different kind of experience in their data. But yeah, I think 95 is probably a lot closer. So what happens is you have prospects coming in looking for a trusted advisor and an experience that's focused on them and solving their problems, but they're met with a seller-centric strategy that companies deploy and give their teams. So you have companies talking about who they are, what they want to do, their products, and you have uh, prospects wanting to talk about themselves and what they're going through, and they're talking past one another, and that's really the misalignment. Seller-centric organizations and strategies talking to buyers that need that trusted advisor. So what a buyer-centric sales playbook says is how do we make the buyer the star of the show and really step in and become that trusted advisor for them? How do we take them through a process that's going to deliver the value that they were looking for when they decided to schedule and attend that call? And funny thing is, is when we deliver the value that they're actually looking for by scheduling a sales call, they are far more likely to convert with us because everybody else is confusing them with their seller-centric approach and we're stepping up and being the trusted advisor that they need. It's a big difference. And you think that's one of the ways that sales is evolving and has changed? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you hear a lot of guys talk about it in today's sales methodology. And, you know, what we see though is it's a big change that's happened, but really a new era is on the verge of just starting. And that new era is taking this buyer-centric philosophy, if you will. And instead of putting it into the 10 principles of this or the philosophical ideas of that, it's about actually creating consistent experiences and what we call those playbooks so that salespeople know exactly how they need to be executing. Now, these aren't scripts, but they're playbooks just like professional sports teams have that allow them to be in a position to score more points. You've got, we have to deploy those playbooks and give that, create that consistent experience that guides the seller through that process 
so that ultimately can be put into guided selling technology. And that's really the most exciting part because when you can install that in guided selling technology, you get more consistent execution by your reps and you create a more elegant and more sophisticated experience for the prospect so that they can be clearer on what we call their action plan or their narrative. And through that clarity, they're more likely to take action. So to answer it, it's been talked a lot about, but we're now at the point where technology and actual impl- implementation of these philosophies are on the, they're at the furthest point they've ever been to really create an execution plan and ability to implement it by companies like we've never seen before. So tell me a little bit more about guided selling technology and sales enablement. What does that mean and how does it work? Yeah. So guided selling technology basically says we've done a bunch of work to get the prospect on the call. And then we do work in between the call or after the call, if it's a two call or one call process, but what are we actually doing on the call? How are we actually creating a high quality experience on the call that ensures the process or the value that our prospects are looking for that I talked to you about before that we can absolutely deliver that? So the way guided selling technology works is we basically put methodology into what we call sales forms. And those sales forms are usually a combination of eight to 10 questions with the ability for your your salespeople to probe and go deeper where they need to. Those eight to 10 questions, we can ensure getting covered every single time and they should bleed into one another perfectly. So it makes a lot of sense to our potential buyers and it creates a lot of clarity for them. Now, through that process, we're able to Uh, create a lot of uh, insights through data. Okay. So for example, we can, in that sales form, we can capture whether or not the key decision makers are on the call. Most sales organizations are struggling with even getting all their reps to identify if the decision makers are on the call. Right. Right. They just skip right past that and assume. Not only does guided selling technology ensure that that question is getting asked, but it also allows us to understand what percentage of our calls are having the decision makers come on. In addition to how many decision makers are there in total? And there's a bunch of stats out there, but those stats are all generalized. For your company versus another company, there might be a different number of uh, decision makers on average that need to be involved to get them to get that company aligned and get them to convert. Additionally, there's ways for us to capture the level of pain or urgency we've been able to create in our prospects through something as simple as a scale of one to 10. And through that, you can take 100 calls by one rep and 100 calls by another rep, and you can start to understand which reps are better at unpacking pain and driving high levels of urgency in the buying process. And we can just we can identify levels of breakdown in sales rep execution with guided selling technology that we've never been able to before. And it really eliminates the gap between sales leader and sales rep and the ability for the sales leader to really create high performers out of everybody on their team. And that makes a lot of sense in really having that structure instead of yeah everybody just kind of doing their own thing and winging it. That's really hard to measure yeah. if there's not a structured process in place. How do you get sales reps to follow processes? I mean, historically, they're not great at that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I know yeah. my reps aren't. And then honestly, I'm not either. Yeah. Uh, so how do you facilitate that? How do you make that happen in a way that uh, you know, doesn't feel completely coerced? Yeah, right. And fake it really gets in the way, right? Because yeah. now they're being too mechanical and they've lost their secret sauce. Um, right. And there are basically two ways that we do it. One is we show the relevance of data and how that can help them. The first thing, first and most important and easiest problem that you're able to solve with guided selling technology is what we see sales rep failure at the largest level is really being driven by a lot of small failures. Like I said before, 
How many calls are they not identifying the decision maker on? Right. How many calls are they not calculating ROI and they're creating price sensitivity? How many calls are they not driving awareness around the pain and the prospect doesn't act? There's five different categories where that stuff needs to happen on every single call. So the guided selling technology ensures that they don't get in their own way. And as long as the guided selling technology is easy to use, it puts the questions in place for them on the screen and ensures that they hit all the critical criteria so that they don't become their own worst enemy. So that's kind of the first part of it. The second part of it on the data front is your ability to evaluate your own data and recognize when you're potentially going into a slump before you ever get there. So top reps will do really well, and then it'll take a month or two of their pipeline not fleshing out for them to realize, oh man, I've started to cut corners unintentionally in this one area, or I'm getting this kind of prospect more often from this event or this lead channel, and I'm not doing a good job of unpacking something there. Well, the system will give them that data that will allow them to identify that early on so they don't have a month or two or even a quarter of uh, low commissions that ultimately hit their wallet. So that's on one side. On the other side, the easiest way to implement this, take it and implement it with the bottom half of your team. Interesting. If you have 10 reps, easiest and fastest way to improve the bottom half of your team, it's not to fire them and go find five more reps. That is That takes forever and it doesn't work. The easiest way to do it is actually to take the sales process and evaluate the process of your top two or three, document that because you know there's a proven result there and there's going to be buy-in from that install that playbook into guided selling technology and allow your bottom five reps to start using that to ensure that they're actually starting to implement and execute good process. And then as they start executing process and we know that they're actually doing it, then and only then can we start to coach them on how to do it, right? I'm asking you how many decision makers are involved in this or who needs to be involved in this, but maybe I'm taking that upfront uh, gatekeeper answer and moving on. I'm not digging. I'm not finding out that person that's hiding out in the shadows that's ultimately going to sabotage the deal at the 23rd hour, right? So once we get our lower performing reps executing, then and only then can we really evaluate how they're executing on that consistently and give them very targeted coaching in those areas to improve the overall intake of information on all of their sales calls and ultimately get them to performing. And and this is really the key. This is what we did learn in that venture run. The easiest way, the most effective and powerful way for companies to improve their sales results. It's not to go find more rainmakers. You don't want to, if you go from two rainmakers to four, you still have six underperforming reps. The fastest way to do it is to raise the floor. Right. If you can improve the performance of your bottom third reps, ultimately what that does is that pushes up your middle tier and your top tier. And that's where the whole side of your performance gets a massive improvement because you went down, you solved the problems for the lowest performing reps. And in solving those, you also improve the process for the middle and the top tier. You get to keep those reps in place. You're not going through and experiencing performance loss from churn, from employee churn and on-ramping. And you can really solidify your team for the long-term and scale. That makes a lot of sense. There's so much to be gained from raising the, the, I like that analogy as well. And just being able to raise the floor of, uh, of performance, because that makes everybody better in the process. So what type of input do you use in the process or the systems? I mean, are you taking things from top rep and uh, installing those across the board or how do you decide, you know, what to focus on to get those bottom reps up? Yeah. So there's really three core metrics that every company should evaluate that we encourage you to evaluate. 
you want to look at which of your reps is converting at the highest. So per 100 opportunities given to them, who's converting the most out of those 100? The second one is the average sale price, if that applies, if you don't just have a basic one-time sale price. The average sales price, that might not be your highest converter, but they're doing things in the process to desensitize pricing, price objections, and up-level value creation. So we want to also understand that. So we're not only converting more, but we're converting at a higher dollar rate per conversion. And then the third metric is time to close. Who are the reps that are taking prospects through a clearer prospect, a clearer process, and they're taking faster action? So if you can evaluate who your top people are across those three and start to dissect their process and pull out the key points to solidify a sales playbook, now you're going to have the key elements to convert more at a higher revenue per sale and a faster time to close, which obviously if salespeople are doing that, everybody's happy. Oh, absolutely. And that, that's what they want as well, because that incentivizes them. And the, the more that happens, the faster that sales cycle, the more things they can do, uh, the more excitement I think it generates. I mean, long sales cycles, that's a really hard place to sell. I mean, when you get that compressed, uh, you get that dopamine hit more often. And so you want to, to go sell more. That's right. Yeah. And that, it's a great point, Jeff, to culture. The rich get richer in this game. And when you have a team of people who are winning and feel successful and the energy is everywhere on the floor, it just gets better. When you have two or three top performers that are carrying the majority of your sales weight and you've got these middle performers that are just humming along and these your bottom performers that are on pips and they're just waiting to leave, you've got your top performers feeling like nobody's pushing them. Right. You have your bottom your middle performers that are just trying to stay employed. The energy and the culture is far different. And that energy is felt on the phones. That energy is felt on Zoom. That energy is felt when we go on sales calls. When that high energy is there and we know as an organization, um, as a sales team, we're helping to make a difference and create the impact that our company wants to have on the world. It's extremely infectious. Yeah, it definitely is. How do you do that? It makes a lot of sense in an office. How do you do that kind of in the remote work environment we have today? How do you create that momentum and, and that excitement? Yeah. Again, I think it's, you know, one of the things that I say a lot to in our leadership coaching calls is your people don't wake up wanting to be unsuccessful. No matter what you believe, no matter what signs they're showing you, they're not waking up saying, how can I just be terrible at what I've chosen to do as a profession? How can I really just be terrible for the team that I'm on and the company that pays my bills? (laughs) Right. They don't do that. Ultimately, what they want is they want to be successful. And if their individual metrics are being met and they are individually being successful, that sense of presence will be with them, whether they're in the office or whether they're remote. But the overall energy in our team meetings, whether they're over Zoom or they're in a conference room, will be higher. The conversation that happens on Slack, people are going off and they're connecting one-on-one, will be more positive and will be more optimistic, just like it is at cubicles when we're in person, each culture still has the same things going on. And the fact that salespeople are winning creates a more positive and healthy set of interactions within those environments. So what is our job as leaders to help motivate and inspire our team to want to win and make sure that they have the tools to do that? Yeah. I mean, the desire to want to win, hopefully we're filtering that out during the hiring process, right? Because our ability to win not only impacts us as salespeople, but it impacts the company and the impact and the market the impact in the market that we're trying to have. So hopefully we've been been able to figure out that we've brought on people that do care about the cause, that do care about the change that we are trying to create in the world for the people that we are focused on. 
So we want that. But as leaders, we need to keep that fire stoked. So to your point, how are we doing that? How are we bringing up wins? What are we doing? The great thing about guided selling technology is we can really pull out some of the stories there that get documented for our prospects. We can really pull out. Let's go through, Jeff is a recent sale. Let's talk about the struggles and pains that they were going through uh, when they talked with David. They're going through this. They're going through that. Well, guess what? Jane over in customer service just let us know that Jeff just had his best month ever. Right. Yeah. Hooray. Whatever the whatever the thing is, right? It's a more intimate connection because we created a more intimate connection at the point of sale. So we want to stoke that fire. We want to keep that up. But I think, you know, the bigger breakdown, especially with software companies, software companies are really good at the whole culture thing and the whole hoorah thing, right? Like it is mission, purpose driven in the vast majority of them. They do great there. Where we really break down is the path to actually creating predictable success for our salespeople. The shift in the strategy, and that's really the difference between a seller-centric sales organization that is all focused on pitching their stuff and hitting quota and figuring out the tips and tricks to get people to convert versus the buyer-centric organization that has a consistent, proven, and predictable strategy that their salespeople can execute. The best basketball players in the world still have an offense that they're running. Right. And should be able to create predictability in the number of points that they can score to be able to win enough basketball games to win a championship. Same thing here. We've got to install that on our team. We're not putting all of the weight on our sales rep shoulders. That's ultimately where there's too much pressure being placed. As a sales organization, how do we come up with the strategy? How do we identify as an organization what our buyers want? How do we identify as an organization how to deliver that consistently? Then how do we leverage technology? to ensure that it's not all on our reps, but that technology is improving the buyer experience through their execution and ultimately allowing your sales team to be more successful on your team than they would at any other company. And that's a very powerful position to be in. A lot of people don't want to leave that kind of company. Right. That creates stickiness. And especially in a market like we have today, yeah. where turnover is high that's right. and kind of an employee market, you want that feeling of uh, they're part of something. That's right. They make a difference. And that's something that keeps them there. Yeah, that's right. We've all seen the players that left the Patriots and uh, didn't do as well. Or to, right. at this point, Tom Brady, <laughs> right? Whoever left Tom Brady. But yeah, you, mean, you see these players, they're great in a system. They're great with a team. And then they leave and you never hear from them again. It happens and a lot. That. Yeah. We're going to take a, a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to ask David about the biggest mistakes that SaaS companies make in their sales process right after this. Today's episode is sponsored by Champion Leadership Group. Get free growth tools and map out a growth plan to scale your SaaS business beyond $10 million in ARR. Travel with fellow SaaS entrepreneurs on your growth journey and use a proven methodology that is mentor-guided, results-focused, and peer-supported. Celebrate wins and quickly rebound from setbacks to achieve profitable growth, impact, and freedom. Unleash your SaaS growth today at championleadership.com. Well, welcome back to SaaS Fuel. My guest today, David Bonney, founder and CEO of 45.io. And David, a lot of our listeners are SaaS founders. Uh, a lot of them are, are technical in their background, and sales is, is maybe a little bit outside of their comfort zone. So, you know, building a sales force is maybe a little bit scary or something that they're not as familiar with. What are mistakes that you've seen that uh, companies have made? over time and how can we avoid those? Yeah. Again, I think over the biggest thing 
that I would like to ensure everybody on this hears is that we are, you know, we're so enamored with what we've built. We're so excited about the results that it's gotten for others. And we just want to talk about it. And our buyers don't care. You know, we are unfortunately- (laughs) That's a hard truth. It is. We're all a necessary evil. You know, I mean, if I could solve the problem of all the problems that a computer solves, I would be more than happy not to have this laptop. I would never buy anything from Apple. I don't buy anything. I don't buy things from them just because I like them. They're a necessary evil in my life. Every company is. If we could hit our goals and achieve the things we want in life without them, we would be more than happy to do so. So the thing that I would just continue to implore is how do we start to move from being seller-centric or about us and start to be more focused on our buyers and what they're looking for? And one of the easiest things that we can do is there's a stat out there that about 57% of the sales process is complete by the time they schedule a call with a salesperson, right? That's not the first thing people do. I'm experiencing a problem. How can I hop on the phone with somebody that's going to try to get me to spend money as quickly as possible? <laughs> right. Like, right. That's not, we're going to go to Google. We're going to go to YouTube. We're going to go and we're going to start researching. And um, it's through that research that we have uh, figured out something called buyer's intent. The buyer intent is, it's a clear sign of motive. They're hopping on the call with you because they are looking for a solution that's going to solve a problem, that's going to get rid of their pain and get them to the outcomes that they want. And that buyer intent is the core of everything that you've got to be focused on. 100%. They've shown that intent by actually showing up. Now, the great thing about it is in going through and meeting that intent and helping them with that intention, there is a very real shift that has started to happen. And this is really for a lot for technical founders. Sales it is has definitely evolved into a process and data-driven science versus the artistic expression that it was for years back in the 80s. How do I get on and say all the right things to get them excited and get them to buy my stuff? How do I be the guy they want to have a beer with? That is not today's world. Buyer's intent says they are coming and talking to us because they want an action plan. They want to understand what solution is going to solve the actual problems causing their pain and will get them to the outcomes that they want. And as long as we can start to take them through a process that will fulfill on that, we're going to be able to close them more often than not. I like that. And it is different. You know, sales is definitely changed. And I like that it really is. There's much more information now. Do you think that's why it's become much more data-driven instead of artistic? That's right. Yeah. I mean, marketing is taking a lot of what the artistic expression used to be. There's a lot of information out there. By the time they're talking to us, they, they know about our company. They've already recognized that they have a problem that they need solved. They might not know what that problem is. But the, the great thing about it is when we can implement process, when we can create that consistent experience. By the way, just like we do in every other phase of business, we have marketing automation technology, the world that I came from that creates designed experiences for our suspects, for our new leads. Yeah, We have customer journeys on the customer side that creates a designed experience to deliver high levels of value so that we increase our referral and our upsell opportunity for our clients. Why would it not work in sales? It's of course. absolutely mind-blowing that we somehow are still convinced that sales is not the same kind of experience. They're engaging in it for a reason. If we can understand what that reason is, deliver that process 
consistently, we can then get data back that will allow us to improve and optimize that experience over time. So any company can ultimately have a world-class sales organization or a world-class sales strategy, no matter how big. I think that's one of the ways that really shortens that sales cycle as well is because we get much better at that process and we're able to identify the, the pain and provide a solution for that and uh, with the buyer in the driver's seat. Yeah, that's right. And one of the things that we've seen, because we do a lot of prospect surveying after the process for a lot of different reasons, we're kind of data nuts, but the main thing and the simplest thing that we're doing with this is we're eliminating buyer confusion. The confused mind can't act. And when we're talking about our stuff and who we are, and they're worried about their problems, everybody else is confusing the heck out of them. When we create clarity for them and they can understand that this solution will solve these problems and eliminate this pain and get me to these outcomes, it's much easier for them to take that action that they want. They don't want to be sick. They don't want to be in pain. They want a solution. They just need somebody to explain it to them and put it all together in a way that gives them confidence that by making that purchase and going through that process, that will be their end game. So it's one thing for us to say that, you know, you gave us this problem and here's, here's my solution and it will solve those problems and here's the outcome. How do we bridge that gap of belief of where they, they really believe and buy into the idea that this is the right solution for me? Yeah. I mean, it's a great point because we basically, we break it down and this is not our sales process. This is really any sales process. We see it as there's three phases. You have a discovery phase where you're trying to figure out what's going on, what the real pain is, and whether or not this prospect needs to take action. They need to take action if it's painful enough. Then we need to move into the diagnosis phase, which is what is actually causing that problem. And if we can solve that problem, or if anybody solves that problem, what do they expect the outcomes to be so that they understand what kind of return they'll get on their money? And most importantly, now that we do know the problems, are they able to solve it on their own without outside help? Do they even need us, right? Right. Once we go through discovery and diagnosis, now is the time for us to be able to demonstrate our ability to be able to solve it. And you know what we teach, and there's a lot of different versions of this. What we teach is there's three different phases of that to really gain that confidence from our potential buyers. The first one is proven results. Here's who we are. Here's why we exist. We exist to help solve the very problems that you're experiencing and data that backs that up. How many companies have we served? How many five-star reviews have we had? What is the average revenue that we've generated? Whatever the things are, but three or four high-level stats that prove that, that we're able to do that. So that's the first thing. Should they be listening to us at all when we go into the demonstration phase, right? Have we been there, done that? Nobody wants to be the guinea pig for us trying to figure out how to solve problems, right? (laughs) So once we do that, then we need to be able to move into, here's our solution. But the big thing is buyers are largely incompetent in the area that they're experiencing the most pain in. And that incompetence is where some of the confusion happens when we're explaining our solution. Because we go deep. We want them to know all of the cool stuff. We want them to hear. We have knowledge that they don't. Exactly. And And we assume that they're on the same page as us. That's right. And we end up confusing the crap out of them with all of our big words, with all of our jargon, with all of our deep dive explanations into how it is that we solve the problem. When the highest level, they just need to know that we're competent and they need to know at the highest level, how are we going to solve this? The solution presentation should not be long drawn out meetings where we're confusing the heck out of people create a nice, concise 
right? It's like that email. You write it and it's too short. You're like, God, oh, this isn't saying everything. And you write it and now it's this long. You're like, oh no, you do not <laughs> right. read, right? And then you're like, how do I get everybody to read this? I got to go through the painstaking process of making this amount of information fit into this amount of real estate or words. Right. That's the same thing that we need to do with our solution presentation. We've got to, we have to grind on them. We have to work on them. We have to get them dialed in. And then we leave an opportunity for our, our prospects to ask questions where they want to go deep. And if they want to go deep in those areas, go deep with them. But if they don't, don't confuse them. And then the third one is how do we deliver it? We're competent. We can clearly solve it with a clear solution that makes sense to them. Now, how do we deliver it in a way that they can recognize whether or not it works for them? Is it, is it all online? Is it, is it all done for you? Is it, you know, whatever the things are, how do we explain how we deliver it? And what are the timelines? What are the benchmarks of value they should be receiving and when should they expect to receive them so they can put their mind into the future vision of being a client and really evaluate if that's what they want or not, or if it's going to work out for them. Usually it will, but in the absence of information, we say this all the time, in the absence of information, your prospects will make up their own. So if you don't tell them how you're going to deliver, somebody else in the organization or somebody else in the company might make up some information on how you're potentially going to do that, that won't work for them. And the deal will necessarily unnecessarily get sabotaged. So now we're competent. We have a clear solution for them and how we deliver it with pricing. And that's a very clear solution that they can understand. And we can then uh, guide them into a clear closing process to see if they want to take action or not. I like that. Really eliminating the confusion and that that clarity of the problem that you're going to solve and, and just guiding them through that process. That's right. And that's really why the diagnosis part is so important. Right. If we don't diagnose, usually a lot of times our solution doesn't have it doesn't have context. They don't understand, well, why are you doing that? When we diagnose what their bigger problem is, just like challenger sale, problem reframe, something similar to that, when we can diagnose what that bigger problem is, we can explain our solution in a way that gives them context to that. So this is where we implement guided selling technology. And guys, remember, Jeff, this is going to solve the problem of inconsistent execution on your team. That's really just driving up mistakes and driving down conversion. And this is how we do that. Oh, I don't care about guided selling technology, but I do care about inconsistent execution by my reps. Right. They're crushing our right. conversion. Great. That makes a lot more sense to me. 100%. Yeah. Nobody rolled out of bed this morning and said, I need some guided selling technology today. That's right. <laughs> no, they went, my numbers suck. What do I do? That's right. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. But we tend to go about it as sellers the other way of, hey, I've got this great thing that you need. That's right. Yep, absolutely. And we force them to go figure it out. And that's not, we as sellers, we should be leaders and we should bear the the burden of complexity and create a very simple and easy to understand process and set of information for our prospects. When we bear that burden of complexity and take it away from them, they'll be a lot clearer and a lot more of them will take action with us. That's great. Well, tell me about that, the new book, Buyer-Centric Selling. We talked about it at the beginning. Yeah. And uh, so what's that all about and how did it come about? Yeah. You know, I think the book is basically about what we see as the start of a new era in sales. And you know, this might seem a little preposterous based on the world that most are living in, but the new world of the new era of sales that we're moving into is really a world of no sales rep failure. Sales reps should not be failing. In the next five years, we predict that they won't be anymore. The things that are plaguing their ability to drive people who have an intention to buy a solution, and they're ultimately getting in the way of that, when we can eliminate that, we will get more people in our markets to purchase. Because there are a lot of people out there that they're not taking any action at all because nobody's really allowing them to see why it's urgent. 
and they're waiting. A lot of- It happens a lot. Close, no action. That's right. so you see it TRMs all the time. That's right. And then you also have a, a subset of that of that doesn't appear like they take action, but they actually just try to go solve it themselves, right? They partner up with Google and they say, let's go download some white papers and I'll give it to my team and you know have them go figure it out. Well, they don't figure it out right. either. So we'll increase the number of buyers out there and eliminate the long-term pain that they end up getting themselves into because they take too long to take action. That consistent sales process through guided sell- selling technology and playbooks, buyer-centric playbooks, it'll eliminate that. And that's really what buyer-centric selling is all about. Make your buyer the star of the show. Ensure that they're clear on why they need to take action, what problems they need to solve, what outcomes they can expect, and then ultimately how your solution can solve their problems. When we do that, because of the buyer's intent that we talked about before, poor level of performance that we're seeing in sales today will be eliminated. It's going to be a lot more process and data-driven and systematic. Now, we got here because you know we've been in the trenches for years. We've been doing call reviews. We've been analyzing low rep performance. We've This isn't theory, right? I'm not a software guy that just wanted to I go develop an app one day and pick the, an area. Being in the trenches and figuring out where salespeople were falling down and why the people that we care about that we work with are not hitting quota and doing the painstaking work to figure that out, we figured out what that issue is. Again, it's that inconsistent performance creates an inconsistent intake of the critical information that makes people buy. And if we can take playbooks and then install those in technology, we can get our sales reps creating a more buyer-centric experience uh, for their prospects. And again, that leads to more conversion at a higher average amount faster. That's great. So where can people find the book? Yeah, so the, the book's on Amazon. You can go right there and uh, get it. And you know, if the things that we talked about here resonated, we also have something called the Conversion Delta Call Audit. And that goes back to the philosophy that we talked about before, Jeff. We are firm believers that the best sales process already exists in your company. And what we do is we want to go through and we want to audit a call of your best rep and we audit a call of your worst rep. And we show you the differences and we give you the outline and the execution steps for how you can actually create a playbook. You know, best case, we end up working together and you can leverage technology to deploy that and everything else. But worst case, you get a lot of insights on where your salespeople are not creating a buyer-centric process or sales experience, where they're creating unnecessary confusion for their buyers where they're getting in the way of the conversion levels that they should be able to hit so that that can be eliminated and you can raise the floor like we talked about. That's great. And we'll make sure and link the the book in the show notes and everybody should go pick that up. And especially if you know sales well and you've been in this game for a long time, it has changed. So pick up the book. And if you're maybe a technical founder who is more experienced on the technical or operation side, by all means, get the book. Is this will be a great insight into uh, buyer-centric selling, just how sales has changed, because it really has, especially over the last few years. Yep, we agree. That's great. Well, it was wonderful talking with you today, David. Enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, likewise, Jeff. Thank you so much. Well, thanks again to David for coming on the show and sharing your insights and resources. You can learn more about David and 45.io, and that's 40, F-O-U-R-T-Y, F-I-V-E, As always, all links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. So please subscribe or follow us at sasfuel.com, and it's always free. And everyone who subscribes or follows the show this week will instantly return to their pre-Thanksgiving wait. 
those extra couple of pounds will magically fall right off. But you do have to be quick and run fast after you subscribe so they don't catch up to you. Join us next week for a conversation with Karina Ludwig, CEO of Function Fox. Karina and Function Fox have revolutionized the way creative professionals track time and manage projects. She shares her experience in SaaS, HR, and marketing, including an incredibly powerful top 10 list of lessons learned in building a SaaS company. It is gold. So be sure to come back and check it out next week. And until then, enjoy that workout. And as always, enjoy the journey.